0: Oh yeah, I finally bothered to get samples. And I got my two good friends, Dash and Jules, to try them. These are chocolate-free chocolate balls
1: by Win Win. So close your eyes. eyes put closed. Yeah, put your hand out. Okay, one second.
0: <laughs> hey, don't slap
2: each other. <laughs> oh, oh. Uh-huh.
0: It reminds me of something. <laughs> okay, try
2: it.
0: Mm. Yeah, it is very chocolatey.
2: Was, it tastes hazelnutty a bit. Mm-hmm.
1: No chocolate inside of it at all. No. No. It's really good. Would you, would you have thought chocolate. it's chocolate? Yeah, yeah it's, it's just like course. chocolate. Yeah. It mm-hmm. tastes like a sweet chocolate. Yeah, mm-hmm. nice. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, in this biotech season, we have worked through many technical episodes. Now, let's look at a case study where a solution is needed. Dive with us into the delicious and dark world of cacao with the co-founder of WinWin, Arun Pak. Let's jump right in. Red to Green is the most in-depth podcast on food and agriculture sustainability. Covering each topic in over 12 episodes,
1: let's move the food system from harmful to healthy, from polluting to sustainable, from red to green. I'm your host, Marina Schmidt, and you're listening to Season 6, Biotech and Food. Yeah, so I'm really excited to talk about cacao. 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 We all love it. I actually have this little thing that. I don't drink alcohol much. I haven't been drinking alcohol for a couple of years. It's an occasional thing that I do if the party is really boring <laughs> or if I'm somehow at like a depressed point and I'm just like, I cannot deal with taxes or whatever. I cannot deal with something. I was like, okay, it's Baileys and my coffee now. <laughs> like it's, I'm either like not drinking at all or I'm like seeming to be an alcoholic with my Baileys and my coffee at 2 p.m. <laughs> no one needs to know know, except i just told it everybody hi so um i've been drinking cacao from peru as an uh a replacement i mean i'm gonna completely mispronounce it called criollo So C-R-I-L-O, which is supposed to be the most potent kind I've been told in terms of raising heart rate, making somebody a bit giddy, making somebody a bit happy, you know? And uh, yeah, so you seem to be nodding. I'm not talking complete like esoteric stuff here. It it is actually working, right?
2: Well, I I haven't personally found the effects. So I have heard reports of cacao ceremonies where, you know, you do high purity cacao, and actually the bromine inside the cacao that gives you these effects, and it is supposed to have you know make you feel better, right? But yeah, Criollo is like this very rare form of cacao. It's not a monoculture; it grows natively, and it's supposed to be amazing.
1: Yeah, I can very much recommend it to so just get some raw Criollo cacao and drink it with some oat milk or so. Like 40 grams and have a good evening with that, or it will actually make you awake. So maybe like a bit earlier. And so maybe we can dive into the different types of cacao because the kind of chocolate that we have in supermarkets and the kind of highly processed cacao that we may be drinking, it's not all the same. So could you maybe structure the field so we know what is cacao?
2: So cacao, cocoa, it's pretty much interchangeable. I just prefer to say cacao. Strangely love, most people prefer cocoa. Uh-huh. But I would say most of the cacao that we are getting in the supermarkets, the chocolates that most people are buying for from the $1 Kit Kats, they are not going to be your Criollo. They're going to be more your Foresteros. They're a monoculture actually that was brought over from, say, Mesoamerica, basically Latin America, South America, and they were brought over during colonization around the 1800s. So that is the history of why things moved over to West Africa, and so seventy percent of all the cacao grown in the world and that is consumed actually comes from West Africa. It's a great region to actually grow cacao because it's very tropical rainforest. That's what cacao likes. Plus minus ten degrees of the equator. So you know when the cacao found its way there, there the plant was just like, "This is my new home now. I really like it here, and I'm going to take over." And also during the 1800s, there was a huge European craze for chocolate, so. That's why it spread very quickly in that region and it became quickly a cash crop. So, that kind of explains why most of the chocolate that we eat now comes from that region and it's also that type of monoculture crop.
1: Well, if you think considering how much. Mm. Cacao is actually consumed worldwide, and if 70% of that comes from Africa, that should actually be an opportunity to create a lot of wealth. But comparatively, rather little of this wealth is ending up in the countries where cacao is farmed. So, why is that the case?
2: So, this is really, I would just say, this modern supply chains the way it is, it's really a direct reflection of colonization. Yeah. So Large volumes of the Ivorian, the Ghanaian cocoa, they're really sold to the U.S., to Europe, but through Belgium, through Spain, so that the revenue, those profits that could go to farmers, they actually go to foreign traders instead. This is just how supply chains have developed through the years. So 43% of all cocoa beans from Ghana and the Ivory Coast, they go through Europe. They're often re-exported without any value addition. Also, many foreign companies, they also own most of the grinding capacity within the Ivory Coast. So yes, they are very resource rich, but farmers end up getting 6% value of what the chocolate bar ends up being sold in the supermarket. The rest is divvied up into marketing, it goes to Nestle's, goes to Mondelez, and very little remains within that country.
1: Yeah. So how does this look like, in maybe more detail, when the cow's cacao created, actually, like if we have the cacao plants? What kind of processing is the mass undergoing before it goes to Europe?
2: Yeah, so actually a lot of people don't realize cacao is fermented. That's where it derives much of its flavor. So when you see cocoa pods on the tree, they're often brightly colored, yellow, green, red. But the farmers need to individually harvest them, open them up. And inside you see this, the seeds are covered in white gloop, basically, because it's a fruit, it's a seed inside. And so the farmers have to spread that all out on the forest floor. And that's where the magic happens. So it's the natural microbes that are around them, and they work their magic. And after a week or so, you get these dried husks. And so those will need to be roasted, grinded, and then shipped out. So. At what point some companies will do that there in West Africa, others will just take the raw beans and start exporting them out to the rest of the world. Usually what happens is that they do end up in Europe in bean form. And then those companies, the largest commodity traders in the world, will actually process them. So they'll grind them, roast them. They'll make them into the cocoa liquor, which is that really beautiful mix of the fat with the chocolate. So it's just this beautiful chocolate liquid that has a really chocolatey aroma, of course, because it's cacao. And so that is then formed into chocolate couverture or is processed into cacao powder or separated out into the various components like the cocoa butter, et cetera, and then shipped out all over the world again. So it's this whole interplay of what comes from one ingredient, but it it really functions into many different types of cacao butter, powder, couverture, and it gets processed by many different hands.
1: Mm, So interesting that fermentation has been a part of that for so long.
2: Exactly. And, you know, farmers don't get enough credit for that because without the fermentation, you're really not getting the right flavors. And that understanding into the fermentation has really only maybe started in the last decade or so. Really appreciating the microbes that are doing this hard work and then the farmers that are managing this process. Without that, we don't really get good quality chocolate.
0: Fun fact, Win-Win is actually backed by Food Labs, a leading European food VC that is teaming up with its sister fund, Atlantic Labs, to launch a Founders for Climate program. So if you or somebody you know is a passionate entrepreneur caring for the environment, this is your chance. You can receive pre-seed funding for your incorporated company, mentoring and advisory, and access to the network, which includes over 150 portfolio companies. Check it out now by going to foodlabs.com, Food. Labs.com.
1: Are you uh, at some point like done with chocolate? Like, like, oh. like talking about it so much? You know, there's a saying that if you talk about something good too much, it loses its magic. Or are you just eating chocolate the whole time because you're talking about chocolate? Like, where on this spectrum of extremes do you fall?
2: We actually, like, so my co founder Johnny and I had this discussion early on when we were thinking of starting a business together pick your industry very well if we had gone into say like butter we'd be trying butter all the time oh i don't want to do that (laughs) chocolate on the other hand i mean would i ever get sick of it tbc so far so good two years later it's one of those things where there's so much variety right and there's so many different chocolates that you need to try we never get sick of trying the chocolates within the lab the one thing I will say is that you will definitely get a sugar high because we are trying so much of it, but it also makes chocolate tours super fun. When we're doing research missions, you go to chocolate factories and you just start loading up on candy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's, like, it's so funny what uh, different professions can put into their expenses. And then you just buy boxes and boxes on chocolates and it's like, yeah, well, it's, just, it's R&D. It's, it's R&D. Yeah, It's our business expense. Or probably one of our main ones. <laughs>
2: You know? <laughs> <laughs> completely, completely. 50 uh, pounds and just chocolate, you say.
1: Uh, cool, <laughs> yeah, sure.
2: <laughs> Are there
1: other issues with cacao? I guess what, what we oftentimes hear is, I like, guess, water usage, deforestation.
2: Can you maybe elaborate on that? Yeah, absolutely. So it's not really known to many people that cacao does actually have a host of issues. So you mentioned some of them. Water use. So cacao uses roughly twenty-four thousand liters of water to grow one kilo. Conversely, for cereals, it's around one thousand liters. So you know you really get a drastic difference in how much water use is actually needed. Then on the other hand, you also have deforestation. Deforestation is a really widely known topic because cacao chocolate it does grow in those tropical rainforests. So naturally, you will have to deforest new land in order to say maintain your farm if your farm is getting older now and you need more land you're going to deforest existing forest in order to get to virgin fertile soil also because of climate change at this time the growing conditions of cacao are changing so you have to go into higher altitudes which means even more forest and so we are just seeing a lot of deforestation happening at this time ivory coast i believe has now lost 90 percent of its rainforest which is a staggering number and this is also affecting newer players into the industry like Indonesia, Brazil, Ecuador. That's just something we need to be cognizant of. And the last very sad issue is that child and slave labor is still very prevalent within the supply chain. Tony's Chocolonely is doing a very good job of raising awareness. And other individual companies are doing a very good job of it. Smaller bean-to-bar companies, they have very good oversight into sourcing direct from the farmer, making sure that they get paid above fair trade even, and having that strict transparency around the supply chain. However, when you are a very large international conglomerate, things fall under the cracks. And I would say the child and slave labor aspect of it, the situation has not really improved in the last 20 years. Hmm.
1: So are there certain companies that we can point a finger at for being especially responsible in this space,
2: I will do a well-intentioned pointing of fingers. Fair Trade and Rainforest Alliance, I would say they're really amazing and organizations very well intentioned and trying to do very good work. But there's a really inherent lack of transparency around what they do. So the big differences in those programs, like is there a minimum price? If so, how much? Is deforestation illegal? Which chocolate? Which farm did my cacao come from? It's very murky. It's very hard for the consumer to see that on the back of a packet. There was a report done by Mighty Earth, and they're very good with championing deforestation and human rights. So they reported that 40% of all Ivorian cacao, they come from protected areas, protected rainforest. By the way, that's still sold onto the biggest traders in the world. Olam, Cargill, Barry Calabo. Those are the same players selling onto Mars, Mondelez, Ferrero, Hershey's, you name it. So all those big chocolate companies are buying through those traders. In terms of that certification, does it actually matter? Can we actually trace it back? What is happening? Let's just step back into the certification programs themselves. There was a huge expose that Washington Post had done a few years back, and it was reported that those third-party inspections, they're required to visit less than 10% of those farms. That's why so many farms are still in protected areas, That's why there are so many um, child laborers still working in very bad conditions. They also reported that those inspections are also announced in advance. So there's no real enforcement of those child labor rules. Lastly, it just has to do with the industry itself, right? When these farmers are getting paid so little, that does beg the question, how do they afford to pay for their laborers? How do they invest into their farms? So this Mm. is also an inherent industry question as well.
1: Yeah, I see that. We've also seen that in spiracy. Mm. how hard it is to track something, the quality of production the quality of fishing when this spans such wide regions. And I think my theory is using drones could be one of the most viable ways of doing this. If you're able to fly out far into the forest to see a farm and you don't need to send people, which is just so expensive and potentially dangerous. And takes time. So do you see some kind of improvement in this area that's possible within the next couple of years? And why aren't they using drones already?
2: From my knowledge, Mighty Earth has been using drones. They've been using surveillance to understand which areas of the forest are still standing versus not. But it really comes down to enforcement. You know, right now there are no real penalties if you do go into protected areas. It's almost an open secret. So there's also just not enough money going into the enforcement and also the regulation of these industries. So our hope is that these organizations will actually come up. What's interesting is that a lot of the larger big talk companies have actually stepped away from Fairtrade and Rainforest Alliance, and they've set up their own certification programs. They say it's to have better transparency and to actually control how those inspections work and to better liaise with the farmers and to invest into education. Still a bit murky, a lot of confusion for us as a consumer. It's their own CSR programs, but the industry, I believe they are trying to make these moves into better conditions for everyone.
1: I was revisiting Our World in Data, and they have this overview of the environmental footprint of different food products. You'll find it if you Google it, like Our World in Data, food industry, carbon emissions or something. They have this uber interactive graphic where you can choose your different food inputs like cacao also compare it with beef and milk and soy etc then you're able to see the water input the co2 emissions the land mass used etc and i just love that because what i find so important in the food industry and in any industry anyway is that we need to get away from just talking about percentages. A lot of startups are saying, our product is 32% less CO2 intensive. And then the question is, just, yeah, but like, how much is that yeah. in reality? Like, How big is the problem if you're reducing this from beef? That's amazing.
2: I completely agree. And that's what many consumers don't realize is how resource intensive chocolate is. It's this amazing treat that we have the luxury of eating, but so much resources go into making it. So chocolate actually has a carbon footprint between 19 to 49 kilograms of CO2E. That's 20 to 50 times its weight. In contrast, by the way, I'm not saying this as a proponent of meat or anything, but in contrast, pork and chicken has between six and seven times its weight in CO2E footprint. And that's just really crazy to think about. Also, like the staggering water use that I mentioned, 24,000 liters. Cereals have 1,600 liters of water use. It's just staggering, you know, how much we are actually using to create this tree.
1: I guess there's also another aspect that we are usually not eating as much cacao as we're eating meat. If people eat meat, then they have a whole... I don't know, how much do people eat meat in general? That's a good question. In America, they eat a lot more. 200
2: pounds of meat, my God. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You
1: hopefully don't eat 200 pounds of cacao a year, (laughs) like a steak out of cacao, Mm -hmm. out of chocolate each day. But yeah, still, it's significant, of course, yeah.
2: It is significant. The stats, I think, are in the UK and EU, we are one of the biggest eaters of chocolate, right? So in Switzerland, it should be around 10 to 20 kilos per person a year, which is still a lot sure you can argue that chocolate it's not center plate it is still affecting the world that we live in and because demand is only set to grow six percent year on year actually where is this going to come from how much more land do we have to deforest more how many more people have to suffer to make this make this product
1: i looked up the ivory coast that you were mentioning and it's just about the third of the size of berlin so It has lost 90% of its forests, but at the same time, most of the global cacao supply is covered by the Ivory Coast. So if you think about it, like in in terms of comparison, if it actually covers so much of the global supply, isn't that sort of reasonable? Isn't that, I guess, somewhere the land needs to come from?
2: That's a very tricky question. I understand your argument. However, it's also land, precious resources lost, Right. That area was tropical rainforest, which we all know is really critical for the world's yeah. ecosystems, right? It provides oxygen, but it's also vital and critical carbon sink. We really can't afford to lose more of this in our world. And so the other question is, 90% of it has been lost, but we should probably bring it back, right? It's a critical part of what makes the world amazing. And it just, it's a shame that we've lost it.
1: Yeah. I was at some point considering to do a nostalgia tour. So I would choose the places where I go based on which ones will be soon destroyed or underwater due to rising sea levels. So then I would go to these places, which in five years already I would be able to say, like, oh. Back then, you know, when this island existed. I'm sorry for being like so nihilistic. Also, like, my way to deal with these things is a bit of humor. <laughs> but it was probably like parts of the rainforest wouldn't have to be on there to be like, ah, like two years ago, I was there. It doesn't exist anymore. Like, with a tear in the eye, just cool, made it. I think every day
2: that list is growing. Yes. That's the crazy part.
1: Unfortunately. So the locations are shifting, right? Because of climate change, it needs to be grown at higher altitudes. And then also, if you look at the world map where cacao is built, is shifting in what direction?
2: So it can be up or down. Let's start with the beginning. So currently it grows plus minus 10 degrees of the equator. It's the optimal growing conditions. But because things are getting too hot there now, you have to go either more up this way or more down that way. So, it just means that you need to find new growing areas. And typically, those were the protected rainforests or they are virgin land that unfortunately will be lending more to the CO2 footprints of cacao. The farmers don't have another choice to deforest as well because the cacao farms are also getting quite old now. And so, older farms are infertile. So, they will obviously have to deforest more as well for their own interests. Because right now, if you invest into your farms, you use fertilizers, you use pesticides you get less yield out and actually your bottom line goes down because you're actually spending more money on the pesticides, on the fertilizer.
1: Mm-hmm. Which again also is part of the unsustainable agriculture yeah. because it does not actually nourish the soil. But I guess it's also a lot to ask for from farmers in that area, especially to start using lots of regenerative practices. Or, I mean, it would benefit them. Do you see regenerative agriculture being the answer or part of the answer to this?
2: It's definitely part of the answer, and there are a few farms already that are coming into operation that do regenerative cocoa farming. But as you say, it's very resource intensive, and you do need to invest. And unfortunately, the prices that you are getting cacao right now, it's not affordable. You still have immediate needs. You aren't necessarily looking for payoff in the next 10 years. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. A friend of mine who is doing the company Klim, which specializes in helping farmers to switch to regenerative agriculture, he was also saying generally it does also first reduce, like the yields first Mm -hmm. reduce before they rise. And farmers need to have the financial support to be able to go through this dip. Otherwise, it's not feasible. Just like in the meat industry, overall demand seems to be growing. You are also doing something that will add to this supply, the necessary supply. I did hear your co-founder, Johnny, talk about this idea that there are certain things that taste like cacao naturally and that have a similar flavor. So why do we need to go with the cacao plant instead of actually just taking things that have a similar flavor? You're doing a bit of hybrid that you have plant-based ingredients and then fermentation ingredients.
2: So it's actually cacao-free chocolate. We've coined it alt choc. Um, so we use fermentation to actually create an analog to chocolate. So we follow a very similar process to how chocolate itself is made. So the fermentation, the roasting, the curing, etc. So we do that, but we use different plant-based ingredients and we use a proprietary suite of microbes. And we create something delicious that basically functions, behaves, tastes exactly like chocolate. I
0: do have to note that the original interview, which we did actually half a year ago, needed to be edited because due to pending patents, some things Arum cannot talk about anymore. So in this episode, we will not talk specifically about win-win as much as we will talk about the issues in general cacao production.
1: It's actually, now I remember one of my other questions. So, okay, okay, wait. (laughs) I'm a little bit excited about this. Okay. Considering that milk and cheese actually have lower greenhouse gas emissions than cacao, if you have the decision between eating the same amount of black chocolate versus eating the same amount of milk chocolate, in this case, it would actually be more sustainable to eat milk chocolate, wouldn't it be?
2: If you look at the raw numbers, then. I will caveat it with a potential yes, because you are correct. Milk chocolate does contain less cacao solids than dark chocolate. And that's where the most of the carbon footprint does come from. However, chocolate still does have an outsized impact that a lot of people aren't aware about. So I would say all things within reason. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You shouldn't be eating more chocolate because it's milk chocolate. That's You know, it's an interesting area. I have a friend of mine who is, he's a neuroscientist as a main profession, but then also is in writing and poetry and he's from Mexico. So he comes from a very different world of being very much faced with the mafia and the poverty and uh, criminal systems and he always says if you talk about sustainability without talking about poverty and social justice then you're leaving half of the topics on the table and or like a big part of why sustainability is a necessity after all is human health social justice it will create the most problems for impoverished nations And on the other hand, cacao has even more social justice issues because it's connected to slavery.
2: It's a very nuanced subject and it's very complex. The way supply chains have come about, the way products are even made, why is it that commodities players, these companies, these foreign-owned companies get so much money of the pie but the farmers don't really get so much? This is a systemic issue that maybe we as players, as consumers within the Western world, you know, our purchasing power actually does say something. By refusing to buy that Kit KitKat, by refusing to buy certain chocolates that are priced below, that are so cheap that you can't possibly say, how is this sustainable? We can have the power. We can go say, you know what, I'm going to buy direct from this bean-to-bar producer that is paying a fair wage. That is one of the ways that we can actually help rebalance the system. And it's also saying that Yes, we recognize that chocolate demand is growing 6%. We can't expect mass market to continue to grow as much either. We need to come up as a society with new solutions if we want to continue consuming the way we do.
1: So what fat will you be using if, I guess, you're not using uh, cocoa fat? What is your fat of choice?
2: Yes. (laughs) What a question. What is your fat of choice? What's your favorite fat, buddy? (laughs) 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 <laughs> so for now, our favorite fat is shea butter. We are not using cocoa butter for obvious reasons. We're also staying away from palm at this time as well, because it has its own host of issues that we believe the industry needs to resolve. For me, shea butter is
1: something that I associate with body cream or hair. Why is it not so prevalent in food products?
2: That's a really good question. It just never really had its heyday as food products, but it is definitely edible and it's very delicious, and its chemical composition is stunningly very close to cacao butter, hence why we use it. But it's also the quantities at which shea butter is now harvested. It is nowhere near large enough, I would say, to accommodate eating it at a cheap price.
1: Isn't that, in the end, maybe, again, the... I'm gonna say the cow is biting itself in its (laughs) tail. (laughs) 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 to make a more red to green focused metaphor you know that there was this whole thing with palm oil too much deforestation now we have the same issue with coconut oil which had its like peak wouldn't shea butter just have the same trajectory because i guess it's also mostly grown in tropical regions right
2: yeah, and that's something we're focused on very much. We recognize that, yes, it does come from very similar areas. So we are focused on making sure that our supply chains are mega sustainable, mega transparent, very traceable.
1: Let's get to the last two questions. What is a controversial opinion that you have in this space or something that you've been hearing that you just are like, oh, no, I disagree with that standpoint?
2: Very controversial opinion is... I kind of feel like we landed ourselves in this situation by pursuing such high levels of growth. Exponential growth is not actually possible. Yes, it's brought wealth to many people in the US, right? But perhaps if we consumed less, we were more judicious about how we spent, how we grew as companies, as countries, perhaps we would be a more conscientious society and more respectful to people like our farmers.
1: Yeah, yeah. If you would have 50 million and you would be able to invest it, in an area so maybe a specific startup, even sometimes I have like startup crushes or a specific
2: solution? Where would you put that money? So I definitely have startup crushes. So some of my favorites too good to go. I use it so much. My Ecosia as well. It's like such a strange platform. You know, why would you enter the browser space to plant trees? Great. Love it. I think the world needs more solutions like this where we are thinking more circular. I really wish there would be a startup, maybe there already is, where they're looking to reclaim things from landfill. That is a treasure trove right there.
0: There are so many more topics to cover and we're looking for partners to make it happen. If you know a mission-driven organization or foundation that cares about the future of food, please let me know. These are some topics we could dive deeper into. Regenerative agriculture, food safety and understanding food supply chains, aquaculture and ocean health, and a red to green for kids season that you can listen to with any children who are in your life. So this is the single best way to support red to green. If you have any ideas or even better contacts for season partners, please reach out to me. You find my email address and LinkedIn link in the show notes or just write me on LinkedIn directly. My name is Marina Schmidt. S-C-H-M-I-D-T. Thanks to our senior audio editor, Celeste Gupta, for editing this episode, as well as Robert Griffin for project management, and Sherry Sussex for doing industry research. Until next time, let's move the food industry from harmful to healthy, from polluting to sustainable, from red to green.